Welcome everyone to our First Mover Cyber Monday e-commerce newscast series for November 2022. Um, for many of you who are joining us, you've been with us before. Cyber Monday is a series dedicated to filtering out all the useful and maybe interesting and future useful headlines and their implications for us across the consumer packaged goods space, but all categories included and in many cases more globally relevant um, news as well, since we live in a broader ecosystem than just North America alone. But welcome all of you who are joining us either live and or on demand as we make these events, all of our events at First Mover, uh, flexible to fit your busy schedules. But we are always very honored to have all of you live uh, uh, listeners joining us as well. Um, for anybody who doesn't know First Mover, because we have a lot of people join our, our Cyber Monday series, especially, is kind of a, a feeder program, if you will, into our First Mover community. We are your satellite center of excellence for CPG, e-commerce education and change management. Uh, we, we do everything from these types of events and other training events for public consumption. We do a lot of custom workshops and trainings for organizations, as well as certification programs. And we do a lot of change management, e-commerce strategy, you name it. We'll what we, we'd love to help. If we can help on any project that you can't find someone on, we either know someone who can um, and maybe maybe is emerging in this space or are happy to uh, get our hands dirty and help you out having been in the same trenches along with you. And while it's not about us, it takes first movers to know first movers. So my name is Chris Perry. I'm the chief learning officer, co-founder here. I've been in the trenches with you all across e-commerce, sales and marketing, and local and global at Reckitt, wellness pet company in Kellogg's. Got to work with a ton of other wonderful companies out there um, when leading executive education at Edge by Essential. And now, now going into our third full year, which is quite exciting in e-commerce years. Um, very excited to work with so many other wonderful uh, partners out there. Um, and I couldn't do any of it without uh, Oscar Kaschutsky, my partner in crime here, our chief growth officer and co-founder, who's been in the digital space for over two decades um, and leading e-commerce across Kimberly Clark Mondelez and Kellogg's, in addition to consulting and driving our change management initiatives at First Mover. So we are equal nerds to you. You don't have to claim to be a nerd, but we are. We, we'll do it for you. Um, but we are here to help in any way we can. If not through this series alone, we're always here to support you. Now, every other, uh, every one of our other events recently, we've been kind of just closing out the 2022 year of industry events, but we've published our official. 2023 calendar of events, which is just to get started. Just want to make sure we put things out on the calendar that we're intending to continue with. But we popped up a lot of events throughout the year as well, based on feedback and opportunities. So um, just so you have full view of what, what's to come, since this is relatively new, we've got kind of what's, what's the same going into next year. We've got our monthly Cyber Monday, which we're going to get into today. Um, and we'll have that in mid-Mondays um, every month. Um, just to keep recapping all the, all the news that is to know in this industry. But we've also got a lot of our, our retailer events continuing. We're going to have our Amazon, U.S., and EU events two times next year. Walmart, Kroger, and likely Kroger Albertsons, as that's quite an exciting uh, piece of news um, in recent history. Um, Target and Instacart. We're going to do our Bev Alk event. So if you're in that category, we'll have that um, as well um, in June. Um, and then we may pop up some other ones as we go forward, but we kind of tried to pick the fewer, bigger, better uh, approach um, for those events. We're also going to be doing a lot of strategy and capability events as well, 
Um, we've got our, uh, our sheared uh, change management event. We did one in February this year, got a lot of buzz as we try to help uh, you leaders out there change your organization. So we're going to do a, a round two of that. Um, in January, we've got uh, how to bundle the right uh, e-com technology in January. We've got smart, our smart series focused on different ways to grow, next level growth, future of content, social commerce, and much more. So all of these are free for brands to attend. Anyone brand or in between brands, we welcome you. And if you're in a weird case where you've been in, you know, we'll, please reach out to us. We'd love to have you. Um, but we, we make these, we want to lower the barrier of entry to make sure we can demo, you know, democratize all education um, in this space to, to raise all of our IQs to that next level. We're also very excited because it's very, uh, very closely linked to this and having seen a lot of you signing on today, I think many of you are already in this program, which is quite exciting. We also have a free self-loyalty certification program. So by self-loyalty, I like to think of if you've ever been to business school or post-business school or post-college certification programs, you get the certification for doing a certain amount of time in one topic. Well, we thought, well, why don't you get credit for all the stuff you do over time, right? We've been at this education game for two plus years now, and many of you have been with us all the way through. And why don't you get credit? You've essentially done a mini MBA. Why don't you get credit for that? Well, we decided to answer that for ourselves by ensuring you do get credit for that, not to mention many other things. So uh, we teased this in April, but we officially launched this over the last two weeks. Uh, many of you have been bombarded by my email, so I promise I'm not spamming you. <laughs> Just want to make sure you got the details for your certification badge and all the perks that come with the different levels um, as you work your way up. But we have launched Torch, which is our you know, our certification program tracking and celebrating, obviously a commitment to continuous learning over time, but really next commerce leadership, because to call it e-commerce would be short-sighted knowing how we're merging into whatever's coming next that all of us will have to be prepared for. So many of you have been so cool to see everybody sharing their badges as we've uh, been sharing those out for all of you who have already been in the program. Many that we've got people who have spent seven entire days of their life with us. Um, which I hope I've I hope Oscar and I've added that much value, if not coordinated that much value. It wasn't just us, right? All of the other education partners, but we are honored to have been a part of that much of your life, and we promise we're going to keep exceeding expectations. But my call to action for any of you is: we've been emailing out um, in everyone in our, uh, our our in the different levels uh, based on how many live hours of learning you have already completed with us. The goal is to give you credit for anything you've done on demand. If you've watched this on demand, we can't track it as easily as we can live, but we want to give you credit for it. And we're going to have a lot of other events, industry events, not first mover branded, you know, that, that we want to give you credit for because it shouldn't just be our learning. It should be any legitimate learning you're, you're doing in this space. So we've got a lot more ways to earn hours here. They're all free to earn. There's no price here except your time and commitment to yourself. Um, but we've got five levels, Ember, Blaze, Soul, Polaris, and Sirius. If you thought I got nerdy, I've gone to the next level. We thought each one represents a brighter flame, a brighter light in this industry, um, going all the way up to a, a first magnitude star, which is Sirius. Um, uh, but Polaris being a second magnitude, brightest in our, in our point of view on Earth. So 
Um, we want you to work your way up to these. And we've got other perks besides badges and all that kind of cool stuff um, as you get to Polaris and Sirius. If you did not get your badge, because you get an, you you qualify for an Ember badge by attending today. It's up to eight hours of learning. Many of you have many more hours than one, but you automatically qualify for to be in the program, and then you just keep accumulating. We're going to be tracking the live ones over time, and then anything else that we can give you credit for, we'll be sending out details, and you can claim those, and, and you just keep working your way up, and then eventually we may have to have another level because all of you will be like Delta – you know, sky priority, you know, medallion mile earners here. So, um, so we, we, we kind of wanted to set a ceiling, but we know the ceiling will break and we want to push you to that next level. But if you didn't get your badge or you didn't get an email from us, it wasn't intentional. So email, email us now at torch at firstmover.com. We will get you your badge. If you, we may have sent it to you and it went into junk or whatnot, you, you never know, but we will make sure you get it. Um, it's free and it's something you can share on LinkedIn um, as well as, should represent all this awesome learning that you're actually accumulating over time. So um, I, I, I'll leave that at that, but uh, very exciting uh, to launch this and to give people credit for all that great learning that often goes un uncredited. And we wanted to make sure we give you a little love for that. So email us again at torch at firstmover.com or you can reach out to Oscar or me on LinkedIn. We won't bite. We want to give you what you're, what you're due. Um, and we'll make sure you get your 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 appropriate badge, and then we'll keep upping you as we as you as you earn more hours. So let's get into today so that you can earn that next hour of learning. So um, many of you know the way we approach Cyber Monday when we approach the news, we like to break the news down into three buckets. That doesn't really matter in the sense of each headline will sit in many things, but it's all about how that how you tell that story because some of these headlines that go you know. Uh, and Albertsons and uh, Kroger merger is kind of a big headline. You don't, that doesn't necessarily go unmissed. Um, but what are the implications of that? And how does that fuel the next thing? And so we really think of the world as digital is driving everything from growth and influence, even in store, and the decisions of the shopper and our buyers at the retailer. And those are changing how the shelf and the store is evolving. Um, how, how the shopper gets what they get, how the retailer gets them what they need, and how brands are going to market and how, how the shelf is being determined. At the same time, e-commerce is unleashing all kinds of competition, i.e. rivalry is rising, as we like our alliteration here. And then that just drives even more digital because a lot of the, the rivalry is coming in through the digital channels, right? So this may change over time as the storyline changes a little bit, but it, it kind of helps frame a lot of what's going on in this space. And so you may have heard of some of the news that we've heard, but we'll give you a little bit of a perspective, at least what we can geek out together. Um, if not, we'd always love questions or comments, or you can always follow up with us afterwards as well. Um, but we've tried to capture what we thought was most important in the last 30 days since our last Cyber Monday. So let's kick this off. So when we think of digital as driving, this isn't surprising to anyone, but I, I, I thought this was quite cool uh, to see because we've been using that digital influence sales stat for a while. And Forrester and Publicis actually put out this, this graphic, but Forrester had put out an updated uh, view on digitally influenced sales. And, and this really just flagged that kind of yesterday, you know, about half of all sales were either online or digitally influenced offline. Today, you know, very much because of COVID and the acceleration, 
we're now at like the 60% mark. I'd also seen like a 62% um, stat. So this is very close to that. But like, you know, by 2027, and I mean, this is based on what we know today, 70%, right? I mean, I mean, a significant percent of sales are digitally influenced. And I don't know, to be fair, I don't, I'm not knocking Forrester because this is an awesome piece of data. Um, I don't know that that can, I don't know it's, that it's easy to fully capture what the buyer in the retail environment is doing to the store shelf based on digital. This is more, I think, from a shopper lens, which is still quite powerful, but it's very possible that even more of that light grade pie piece in the non-digitally influenced sales might be digitally influenced by nature of, it's not that the shopper went online and got digitally influenced, it's that what they chose in store was planogrammed based on what was selling online. Because that's what we're starting to see now is retailers choosing what goes in store based on what's selling best online. So that becomes maybe even more powerful story. So that isn't necessarily net new to a lot of us leaders of change out there, but we may still be pushing a little bit uphill um, as we, as Oscar and I see a lot in this space. And so this doesn't hurt to kind of bring in that, that broader halo effect and actually some, at least some very credible stats to anchor our story and why we need to be doing what we're doing. And Oscar, I don't know if you had a point, a, a, a take on that as we kick off our headlines. Today. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to, um, definitely, you know, one of the challenges that we have is, is like, what is the right proportion, right? Um, it's interesting is because now in the post pandemic, we see a slowdown with a lot of the retailers like, you know, Amazon, we're going to be talking a few slides uh, forward about Amazon actually losing sales post pandemic. Uh, so it's really, it's really hard because when you actually look at the mainstream media, there is a little bit of an emphasis that the tech is going down, nothing is working. You know, meta is going down uh, with the metaverse. It's a little bit like a headwinds that we are actually seeing probably for the first time, serious headwinds that we haven't seen before. Um, so it's a little bit, of, it's it's harder than creative to say, it's like, hey, there is still potentially, you know, seven plus points growth for tomorrow for online sales, right? It might really depend on the category. But I also think there's a little bit of a definition of what's digitally influenced sales, right? Um what what's going to happen is let's say if you know um, all of the retailers will start using digital um, you know LED display for example to do some advertising do some promotions you know if the ecosystem is going to be tighter and tighter um, so it's going to be you know how do we actually then um, look at things like um, you know last mile delivery um, you know and or like ship from store it's going to get very muddied because the trips. You know, you can start with a retail trip, but then it's like, hey, I actually forget about something. Maybe I'll order it online or maybe I didn't find something, you know, on the inventory. So it's 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 going to be very kind of a clouded, muddy space where it's 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 going to be harder and harder to define the boundaries. So it's it's interesting. But I think, you know, a bigger story is how do we actually tell this story to the executive team that you cannot just work on optimization on only the SKUs that are selling online, you have to look at holistically as a brand building exercise that the the digital shelf is also super important within your store because that's how people are doing research. So their numbers of reviews matter, searchability matters, you know, content matters, you know, to convince them. So it's going to be a much high, much bigger um, kind of an exercise to tell that holistic story, not just focusing on the e-commerce sales, but also, 
you know, what's the future of the digital experiences that we want to have to our shoppers. And that's one of the reasons, you know, later in May, we have entire session dedicated to future of content where we're going to be touching upon also, you know, how content influences shoppability and what do we do? What do we need to get prepared into the future? No, 100%. I, I think for, for everything, it's it's not that it's easy to measure, like especially with, like we know that there's a halo effect of doing retail paid search and displayed retail media. It's just, again, it's like, it's that knowledge that if a tree falls in the woods, it did make a sound. I just can't capture the sound for you because I wasn't there with that with the right tool at the time but it did happen and it doesn't help that we can't always measure it easily but but it, it is that telling that story that there there could be this whole upside if i'm from a conservative to a very aggressive and pick pick a number in there but there's 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 a halo effect in in what we're doing today and if we don't capture that somewhere we're we're underselling ourselves or we're under investing potentially so as you all know, there's always a lot of surveys kind of going on that, you know, people are trying to kind of measure the attitudes and usage of um, different shoppers within the U.S. This one was interesting is because, you know, a thousand plus shoppers were surveyed and 70, uh, 57% of them said that they would shop for grocery more at Walmart versus 15% that said at Amazon.com. And of course, you know, a few things were mentioned, things like price, uh, product familiarity, um, you know, kind of being more loyal customer. Um, but then, you know, we know, of course, Amazon has a very generous um, return policy. I think at the moment, whatever you buy from Amazon, you can actually return it till January 31st, which they usually do it um, every day. But then, you know, we know also, you know, Amazon doesn't have things like, you know, curbside pickup, you know, so like any shoppers that want to kind of live a little, in a little bit of a mixed environment, uh, it's not for them. But nevertheless, the whole thing about, you know, inflation at the moment, potentially economic slowdown, it's very clear that people are going back to the basics and grocery becomes a little bit more of a focal point again, and the convenience, the familiarity and and making sure that the experience is consistent is becoming more and more important. And I think this is like if I looked um, in the last six, seven years, what was the number one issue that Amazon has never solved was that Amazon Fresh, you know, uh, period was never consistent because products were out of stock. You know, things like, you know, um, uh, you know, for example, you know, just having single quantity versus like, you know, let's say they had a yog, you know, you bought a yogurt, they just had one quantity. I mean, how, how useful that is. So that experience was never consistent and they never kind of actually figure out what to do. And then in the things like when the economy is slowing down, people do start looking, what do they actually buy in terms of, you know, their basket. So that familiarity, that consistency of experience matters more and more. But Chris, what do you think? No, I mean, it was, it was cool. It was cool to see, because again, like what, what, what is exciting is yes, Amazon is always important, but they're not the only game in town. And there are a lot of other players starting to rewrite, you know, to be fair, Amazon changed the game from checkers to chess, but everybody now is like blowing out lots of different board games. Now, if we want to use that analogy um, and reinventing how we go to market, even though yes, Amazon still is, is a, is a clear disruptor, but it is cool to see other players like Walmart maintaining their edge, if not writing their own edge in this space. 
and it is a category by category play um, because there are a lot of categories where you know you can even see on the left, even though it's a little bit of an eye chart, there's some that where Amazon does have a stronger position um, based on history, based on you know breadth of assortment that they can carry, especially through the third party marketplace. So it is cool to see. The, the nuances of today. What I did think, though, to your point, Oscar, the thing that was really interesting to me was the familiarity with products. And I, I often think, you know, we go to Amazon because they have everything, quote unquote, but yet, I don't know about you, but often, and maybe one of the, the, the benefits and detriments to that everything store is that, and we have to think about this as brand owners, right, or brand drivers, at our companies that we're up against private brands, exclusive brands, third-party seller brands, you know, literally brands coming out of the woodwork. And we've got to justify in a very strange economic climate right now, why you pay a little bit more for our brands in many instances without diluting the brand equity and the the value. So um, the the challenge I I guess I see is, is how do you differentiate, even though what's interesting is on that right chart, the, the fact that people are choosing Walmart because of the familiarity with the products, Walmart doesn't let just any old brand on in and because their marketplace is less developed, not as many can usurp the Game of Thrones, right? And win, win that throne at the top. So what's kind of interesting here is we may actually have a little bit more of a chance to differentiate ourselves with some of the non-Amazons while we're pre- working our way through this period of recessionary you know, impact. And, and those retailers may actually benefit us because when I go on Amazon and I search a category, in many categories, I'd see all kinds of brands I've never heard of. They don't even look like they look like my son made the name up. And yes, some of them have good reviews, but some of them have literally like fly-by-night type brands. And there is a little bit of a lost credibility in that. Not a knock to Amazon, not a knock to those companies, but I have no idea. Like literally, we all could start something tomorrow and suddenly be on Amazon and look relatively credible overnight, even though we're not as credible as some of the other big brands. And that, that's definitely true in some, some categories more than others. I think groceries, food and bev has a little bit of a harder time, I think, because there is some level of I'm eating this and consuming this, and I have to trust the brand that I'm, I'm, I'm consuming. But still, over time, they could work their way up. But I do think that means Walmart gives us an asset there and Target, Kroger, others give us an asset. So I just thought that was really interesting. I think it's not a matter of, you have to win Amazon. Well, Amazon is a leading indicator of broader retail success. However, we may need the Walmarts of the world to maintain our, our strength because again, Amazon has a lot more a lot more clutter on, on the platform that, that makes, it, makes it more of a challenge uh, to, to break through against, but also, but, but, but that may be in our favor because we're the brands that you actually trust. But, so, but, know, it's just really interesting. But, but we see that behavior, right? That Amazon is almost like if you're manufacturing something in China, a few things are happening. Number one is you might have the same product with literally 10 or 20 different brands. And by looking at it, you know this is exactly the same product, right? Exactly. So that happens quite a bit. Number two is we've seen... And my fav- favorite example is always Terragon. So Terragon is like a, a muscle massager uh, that helps you to, you know, relax your muscle post-workout. Highly recommend. Great brand, great product. But that entire brand was completely overrun by um, Amazon Marketplace, where the base, the basically the owner of the brand just gave up on Amazon altogether because 
you know, the, the product that he was selling was, you know, $3.99. And then within, let's say, a few weeks, massive knockoff brands just started to advertise on his keywords, etc., right, on, on the brand keywords. And, and, you know, just come up with cheaper solutions. And then, you know, there's each, also issues that, you know, potentially fake reviews, uh, you know, and just pumping up just those reviews, you know, fly-by-night sellers. So, if something is replicatable, there is a big danger of, of basically just getting overrun on on, uh, on Amazon. And that's why kind of like within, you know, food and bev category, it's still relatively safe. But everything else, if they can be easily replicatable, it's on a massive danger. And that's kind of where the Walmart comes in too. No, for sure. You know, as a counterbalance. And I, do, I do like that Walmart and some of the other retailers that have launched or accelerating third-party marketplaces, they have the benefit of building from scratch in the sense of they're adding sellers maybe a little bit more selective. I'm not saying it's perfect, but they're adding it more selectively than, you know, where Amazon has to actually like almost harness 2.6 million global third-party sellers, all of whom, you know, are, it's a little bit of the wild West. Whereas, you know, with the Walmart or, or, or others, they're adding like smaller numbers at a time and they've got a little bit more control over it. It's again, it's not a perfect, you know, there's no silver bullet to any of this, but it's kind of interesting. But no, that no, th- this is just cool to see. You know, some of this is intuitive, but it's interesting to actually see it validated. While this seems like old news now for anybody who's moved on to November, I, I literally as soon as Halloween, like on Halloween evening, there was a Christmas ad on television. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I kid you not. Like, come on, guys. Like, can we just wait till tomorrow? But either way understand why everybody wants to jump the season right but um what this was you know interesting to flag you know while again amazon never openly calls out all of its results there are always different uh, entities you know bank of america adobe um you know etc who, who will try to p- place a size of the prize on on the event um, bank of america estimated amazon's october prime early access sale or p's as the acronym spells um to have generated um, 25% less than Prime Day in July at about $8 billion. Oh boy, only $8 billion. I'll take a piece of that. Um, in uh, gross merchandise value. Um, but, so so while again, and I always find this, you might, you might be in the same camp. Whenever Amazon doesn't quote unquote do better than the last time, everybody immediately like piles on and like craps on them. Like, which I just, it's like, okay, I'm not saying that they're always should just get the benefit of the doubt, but like, there might have been other benefits and they may not, they might not, I, I'm sure they would have liked it to over, you know, surpass their July event, but that was officially their prime day. And this was kind of a different event altogether. I think they intended for this to be a little bit lighter, but they saw other benefits, right? And I think that that was the key here is by pulling forward the holiday, the holidays of spending earlier, A, they captured market share at a critical time when a lot of other players are starting to ramp up their holiday pushes of across Halloween and beyond. Um, so it's a market share driver. It definitely was a branding event for prime who did up their price earlier this year and has a lot of other memberships upping their perks and benefits. Um, so it was a great event, you know, to keep people in the game, if not bring them in for the holidays. And as, as with many of you are probably very aware, but I think it's an important part by pulling for the holidays, now there's not the same level of pressure that there would have been had we waited and done all of those deals around our traditional cyber, the cyber five, if you will. 
um, around that holiday. So part of the issue is while every, everyone and their brothers promise free two-day or next-day or same-day delivery, and then everyone and their brother orders at the same time during the holidays, and now everybody's struggling to deliver on those very important promises at a very critical time of, of holiday giving, if not self-giving, right? Uh, I, no judgment here. So I think it was an important event for them to run. It is interesting that they've added the second, the officially the second one this year. Not that they haven't had other deals and things during the year, but the maybe my one watch out, not that they care what I have to say, but is, is that in Asia, you've got the double digit holidays. Every single month, there is an event of Prime Day caliber. Um, it starts, you know, Singles Day, 11-11 is the really big one, but there's 12-12, you get it, right? Every double-digit holiday has, and now that the challenge, though, is that they, they're so frequent that many shoppers just wait until the next event because why, why buy in between? You know there's going to be another deal leading up to, during, and after the, these events. And so the challenge is right now we, we've only really had the holiday, holidays, Cyber 5, and then Prime Day, and then the, the one-off, like, you know, individual retailer events. But if they, if there ends up being too many of these, it, it's not, I mean, there could be other benefits like the smoothing effect from a logistics operations standpoint, but the issue could become kind of shopper fatigue. And then, you know, then we're, we're just, we're just subsidizing the purchases by, you know, I would say nurturing people to come on, on deal as opposed to actually shopping when they need it and wanting us that way. So um, so it's not like, again, there's some good things. I think obviously it was good that Amazon was the one driving this. Walmart just had like their, you know, half price Walmart plus thing, uh, you know, a membership as a follow-up target. Target had had like a deals day type event to kind of counter uh, this peas event that went on. So everyone's trying to play in this game a little bit and find ways to bring people in as a point of market entry into their memberships, keep people in the franchise. But this is something just to watch out that we don't overdo it. Because it could, you know, it's it's a slippery slope once once we overexpand. So in in Asia, the way they actually doing a lot of those events is they are specific to uh, not to every category. So it's by by category, right? So that helps to create more of a you know totem pole uh, events. So that's number one. Number two is um, I'm going to be paying attention to what piece you know, the prime early access sale has influence over the sales for uh, Black Friday. I still expect the sales for Black Friday to be lower than last year, uh, just because of, you know, a little bit of uncertainty with the economy. Uh, and we also see that a lot of brands um, are not necessarily want to take the price up because they are worried that they're going to price themselves out. Um, so it's again, it's mixed by category by category, but I want to see influence over Black Friday. Uh, but the question that I have is like, you know, we had a basically July sale, September sale. It's very heavy on the, you know, back end of the year. Was that not the right choices? And, and, and maybe they are just running some algorithms and seeing it's like, hey, we got to prop up the sales because, you know, the street's not going to respond profitably. The minute, the minute, you know, the street gets kind of, involved into the narrative, it becomes a little bit of a challenge. But I also, you know, think about it is Amazon has been growing for the last, what, probably 20 plus years. You know, we're going to start reaching plateaus or decline sooner than later. 
And it's just like, you know, we always were conditioned to say, you know, no matter what, e-commerce is going to grow year over year. Uh, you can actually see in the first slide, you know, there was like, well, you know, e-commerce can grow from 23% to, to 30% of overall retail sales, right? You know, so that growth is built in our mindset. But we're getting into um, a little bit more of a commercial environment where it might not be so easy, where something that could have been, for you know, forgiven maybe five years now and you would still have growth, maybe it's no longer, you know, uh, it might become a challenge. So I give an example. Amazon has not really invested into changing their UI or customer experience for years. And we know one of their products is, is a massive obstacle for brands to create really kind of innovative uh, um, kind of experiences. That sooner or later is going to catch up, catch, you know, catch up with them. We know the, you know, integration with the TikToks of the world, right? With the, you know, social commerce, it's still not quite there. You know, the, the live shopping is not really catching up. They can't really jive with the creators very well. You know, yeah, maybe in the in the past that didn't matter. Now it does matter because, you know, the, for us to win in e-commerce, it has to be more nuanced and nuanced each time. You know, like our strategies, we have to sharpen our pencil when it comes into our strategies. And I teased this a little bit already. I'm yeah, sure. so th this one is just a little tease. So... And, and this is kind of like the, the situation where we actually see where Walmart is trying to respond to all of the events that Amazon has, and they launched their own kind of a 48-hour discount promotion for Walmart Plus uh, customers, which is which is great. It's very similar to what uh, Amazon is doing. And we're actually going to see more and more because, you know, my favorite example is always uh, Sonos. So Sonos, it's a brand of speakers, Um high-end speakers, I would say mid, maybe not high-end, but mid, like mid-range to high-end speakers, very popular in electronics, but they refuse to participate, um, you know, in any events like, you know, Cyber Monday, Black Friday, they never discount. But what they start doing is they starting to give loyalty, basically discount. So if you own the product before and you want to have a new version or you want to add something to your collection, they would give a discount, you know, for that product. A lot of the times the brands would choose to do it through their direct-to-consumer, but we see that loyalty playing big and big factor into it because the challenge that we're going to have is well, all of those different events that are just white events, you know, uh, uh, broadly on the side is that everybody's going to start price matching each other and suddenly we're going to be discounted, you know, 365 days per day. And, and that's that becomes a problem for brands because you never actually can sell at the MSRP. Now, obviously, almost every day there's something from Amazon, and you know, and they it falls into different levels of obsession for different types of customers. But in this bucket, thinking of the shopper customer, um, there were three kind of interesting, you know, updates that just kind of show their constant innovation. That we, we've seen a lot of news recently about Amazon having to cut, um, you know, as they as as they're slowing their forecasts for the future, because again. A, they've been growing for a long time, and B, there are some headwinds uh, ahead of us, but they are constantly upping their game on a lot of other areas. So for every you know one headline of challenge, they probably updated three or four things. Um, but a couple things here. Amazon is expanding its selection of ad-free music and podcasts for Prime members as part of the Amazon Music subscription program. They've also, they're obviously really trying to drive people into the official subscription as well. 
Um, I only speak from my own experience of I had a playlist. Maybe I was riding too free for too long, but I had a playlist of 38 songs. And then within a week, only eight of them are now available to me on my playlist. So my playlist got very short and a lot less, uh, a, a lot less motivational. But um, either way, uh, you know, I, I realized there is, it kind of triggered me to say to my wife, should I should probably just go ahead and do this because this is how I listen to most of my music now. Um, but, you know, they, they are looking at how they can obviously continue to bolster up the perks that come with their Prime membership, including access to some of the music through that program. Um, Amazon Fashion and Snapchat have teamed up to introduce an eyewear virtual try-on uh, capability uh, for customers and brands. Um, so this is, you know, one of many ways, uh, you know, I, I know we, we've, we've actually highlighted some of the things Walmart um, as they had, had acquired Zkit and a couple other uh, technology uh, capabilities to offer virtual try-on um, support. Uh, Amazon is also driving change in that space. Um, it's not new. We've seen some of the ways you can visualize furniture or pieces of different items in your home or you know in a room. Um, it only makes sense that a lot of this is coming towards the, the items that we would wear as well. Um, and then also what I, I always find that the payment method element is an important one because that is how many of us access who we choose to shop from is based on how we can pay um, or if we can pay the, the, the full amount, which is why those installment payment um, capabilities like Klarna become really interesting. But um, Amazon will actually start accepting Venmo as a payment method for U.S. customers. Um, you know, a few years ago, that might not have been everyone's first choice. A lot of people now, that's their go-to for payment. Um, so that, that's a really interesting uh, you know, way that they can tap into other other ease of payment, right? Because it's not just a one-click to cart or a one-click to order or a same-day delivery. The friction of the way I pay becomes sometimes the barrier as well. So just lots of ways Amazon is consistently trying to up its game and remove friction from a highly friction frictioned experience in general in, in shopping. So cool to see there. Um, so we see always a lot of investment and time spent on improving the usability of sites. And, you know, we want to kind of highlight a few of the examples. So we know Google is trying to get to e-commerce space for the like the last 15 years, but um, they've been actually using the issues with the supply chain to be able to start showcasing which products are in stock for, you know, for which retailers. Um, so we see now they are actually kind of revamping this even further by, you know, kind of adding more visual kind of it's easier to browse more visually plus you know you can actually start having search filters which also helps which you know so we definitely see this as a kind of a step forward and you know their commitment to you know just making those search results a little bit uh, uh, more accessible plus you know it's much easier to price shop or actually I don't even call it price shop I call it like uh, you know availability shop because you know we have so many issues with availability for a lot of products then, you know, Walmart uh, is con constantly working on personalization and then, you know, plus savings. But the ones that was actually caught my attention was that they actually implementing a virtual queue uh, for really high demand um, items. So it could be, you know, hot toys or electronics where, you know, basically the site is being, you know, um, bombarded by bots trying to buy the product and then resell it, it for two, three X. 
um, you know, like on the, some of the marketplaces, like it happened with, you know, PlayStation 5, Xbox, etc. So like any items that was hot on the list. So we'll see if that's going to actually help the experience. But, you know, that's definitely um, having a little bit better queue. And also, you know, when you're in the queue, you can actually shop for all the items. And then, you know, you're going to be called back to the queue to finish purchase. It, it does make sense. It's just a question is like how that inventory is going to get allocated if multiple people are in the queue. So we'll we'll see how that's happened. What I'm hoping for is that actually they're going to take some of the queues from American uh, Express ticket buying because that system seems to be working fairly well, um, you know, in terms of allocation. So that could be an interesting idea if for more loyal customers, they would actually open up a window where the people could buy it, uh, a product, you know, uh, a little bit quicker, maybe 30 minutes before, you know, and and being able to to do that, you know, to making sure that you're not going to have a situation where the site's going to be overrun by bots. Then uh, Klarna, which is, you know, kind of the leader when it comes into, you know, pay now, buy now and pay later, um, they also kind of looking at shoppable content and kind of being able to help people to discover new items because they, they know that people are going to be stretching with their wallets, especially, um, you know, when economy is slowing down a little bit, people are going to be a little bit more conscious, you know, so those decisions are not going to be taken as lightly. So, um, you know, having that search tool built in into Klarna just keeps people within the Klarna ecosystem and being able to see all the different videos and, and shoppable content, it definitely makes sense. Uh, so just we see this, you know, as definitely a positive move and, you know, the move that really makes sense um, for its uh, customers. Oscar, we got a great question on uh, from one of our first movers out there um, that they were seeing Amazon Pay showing up increasingly at more and more retailer sites, um, you know, which is obviously great for Amazon, you know, from a visibility perspective. But what are the benefits to Amazon? for their payment capability getting getting increased penetration so it, it it we would have to see it because there could be different relationship like right? number one is um uh, a lot of people actually have um, within their amazon tied into their amazon visa through chase right so um It'd be interesting to see if, if somebody's using, for example, Amazon Pay button, if they eventually would maybe give like an extra percent or 2% to entice people to use their Amazon Visa card even for non-Amazon purchase. Number two, um, I do think that there is a little bit of, of course, you know, affiliate, uh, any affiliate ar- arrangements, you know, so I'm sure they can work something out, you know, in terms of all of it. But Amazon Pay has been around since I think first one I implemented in like 2008. So it's been like at least 14, 15 years. So it's been around for a quite quite a long time, you know, when it comes into that. So uh, I might be wrong. I might be, it might be 2009, 2010, but it's been along for a long time. So, you know, the question is going to be how they're going to monetize it. And are they basically trying to find new sources of revenue to help with their overall company revenues, which could be the case. Well, and, and to that point, like in the same way that like we, we, we always heard that kind of that claim out in the industry a few years ago that Amazon was going to have thousands of Amazon Go stores, right? Or, or not not to say that that might not have been an intention at some point, but then if I, is having the store that I own the store or is it that I enable the store? I, yeah, I white label the, the capability. So, 
kind of in the same way, maybe it's not the same, but in a similar vein that like Instacart isn't necessarily trying to build an ecosystem so it can compete with a retailer. It's trying to build out all the software and technology in store and for delivery and for pricing and for promo and for self-checkout capabilities, smart carts, et cetera, so that they've got a whole suite that they can enable retailers to go Omni. And arguably Amazon may, may very well have, I mean, it already has a lot of those tools, but that might end up being Amazon may be more places we shop than we ever expect to, because it may not be the brand name on the necessarily on the, on the retail banner. It's what's enabling some of their capabilities. Right. So, um, and I think with Andy Jassy at the helm, a trying to help with profitability and cutting costs and really focusing their initiatives. I mean, he came from the Amazon web services, you know, cloud services side. So, um, he's definitely more of the service oriented uh, versus the traditional consumer goods side, you know, whereas retail is a means to an end, but he's going to enable retail. So that could be, that could be one of the other things is they, if, if they're trying to drive some penetration and embed themselves as a, as an enabler of, of long-term retail it, across other retailers. It does make uh, sense, but the mistake they cannot make it, they, they can they cannot make is that, they got to make sure is that the product is like standalone and it's just not locked in into their right. ecosystem. I give an example. Um, I recently switched from Apple to Samsung. I was just tired of Apple shenanigans, very low innovation. I just needed a change. I was just sick and tired looking at the same square iPhone. I'm like, I'm out, right? But I have an Apple card. And I did not realize how almost impossible and comical is if you try to use Apple card without having an Apple device like iPhone. It's almost like unusable. You cannot even see, you know, a real-time transaction. You know, if you have a fraud alert, you got to call a line because it, it, it's almost impossible to just, you know, making sure that the transaction can go through. So as long as they understand this, like they cannot be so locked in into their ecosystem that the minute somebody leaves the ecosystem, you can no, no longer use the product. That makes sense. They just got to keep thinking about this that you know if they want to start making money out of the financial sector make it usable oh 100 a couple quick ones just as we go through i i i this is the, the nerd in me i like to come up with headlines for the headlines but the e in aldi um yes i do know how to spell even though i'm from virginia um aldi is developing its own online grocery platform Undoubtedly, I have to say, because Aldi historically has focused, has, has leaned on Instacart. So uh, it, I, I wouldn't assume necessarily Instacart is out of the picture, um, but more of, as we're seeing a lot more retailers try to own the, the portal, if you will, the kind of the way that, um, you know, really kind of the way that Kroger or Walmart, you know, we, we, you, you come order through us and we may shop it out to a back-end partner to deliver for us um, or prep the pickup. Um, but we want we want to be the one that owns the data and controls that experience. And so Aldi, like many, you know, Aldi, Lidl, Trader Joe's, all of these like the hard discounters have been growing quite strong with smaller formats. You know, obviously convenient locations. They've got the private brand, so they've got something differentiated. But they were kind of tapping into Omni by leveraging partnerships like Instacart. They weren't necessarily going Omni outright themselves. Um, so this shows, though, I, I, I think in the same vein that we've seen Costco and others, like in high growth brick and mortar models, but that still need Omni as a table state. And so it's kind of cool to see 
uh, Aldi starting to make some of those steps because they, they do pose some meaningful challenge, you know, competitive challenge in the, in the marketplace for both retailers and brands as they take more share away from the bigger brands as more and more shoppers may shop, choose Aldi and the brands that they sell. Then, you know, um, there's always a lot of innovation when it comes into stores and what the stores are doing and few things kind of caught our eyes. So number one is 7-Eleven. It's actually trying to step up their tech game. Um, so, you know, they are doing a lot of partnerships, and one of them is including with True, which is a kind of AI, AR-driven technologies, you know, to help to simplify some of the store operations, as well as, you know, just looking at the workflow of each associate, you know, to trying to simplify it. But 7-Eleven, you know, it's not known for its innovation, but sometimes, you know, they launch something like, you know, in Asia, for example, that they had a, a kiosk that was literally it was using kind of like a 3D display in the air so you could actually operate it as a touch panel so that basically meant you couldn't actually you could check out without touching physical things and you know select options it was basically a little bit of like a hot technology in the car um that was display and then basically camera was you know catching what people were pressing you know in the thin air without actually touching a physical thing so 7-Eleven does look at innovation quite a bit, um, and it's not really known as a kind of like a tech giant, but that's a little bit of a branding um, that they need to kind of overcome. But they're always working on things on the background. And then Walmart is just launching kind of more of a a section for Netflix. Um, They want to really focus on music, apparel, collectibles, games, and seasonal items uh, for any of the Netflix show. Uh, it's a great idea, but it seems a little bit like an idea of the of the past. I would want to see better integration of content and commerce together. It's like, for example, having you know Walmart written into some of the you know shows that they are actually having purposely, right? It has to be in a very smart way, right? Or even if you see something on the show on Netflix, hey, having an easy way to check it out, you know, on your app, you know, through Walmart.com. I honestly think there it just feels a little bit that there needs to be a better kind of a connectivity between content and shopping that seems like a little bit of a um on top opportunity. And then lastly what I was very excited about is you know um their partnership with Popable what they want to do is they want to have those uh pop-up sh- uh, stores that are temporarily uh within the Walmart uh store. So it's going to be a very short-term retail leasing um they're going to be able to have their own kind of uh, pop-up stores, brands. Um, and I honestly think that's something that will create a lot of excitement if they can actually have the right curation of some of those brands coming in into the store. That could create a lot of kind of excitements for people that want to check out, you know, what's on the agenda, who's who's in the pop-up store. The challenge, of course, they're going to have is what happens if they don't have anybody, like, you know, what they would, you know, do about this, you know, because the stores cannot change, um, you know, kind of displays that quickly. Like if I go to my local Target, they literally have one quarter of a store, just they are building a new display, which, you know, nobody really wants to shop, you know, in a kind of construction zone. And Oscar, what's funny is this kind of continues to push us towards like a world where maybe it's not that surprising, but like the traditional shopping mall is not completely dead, but it's obviously undergone a lot of evolution but now it's almost like the big box retailers almost become the future mini shopping mall because the store space ends up becoming 
not only its seasonal merchandising and showroom effect, but there's stores within stores and pop-up experiences and whatever. And that's not necessarily, that's not a bad thing. It's just interesting to see where one concept actually kind of gets reinvented into another one. Um, it was just a matter of who owned the, the space um, and maybe how big that space was. So it's just really interesting. It's going to be mind-binding, like Inception, you know, suddenly walls are yeah. changing <laughs> on you. No, exactly. Um, we, we obviously... This is old news now, but obviously exciting news, assuming this goes all the way through and doesn't have a complete, you know, I, I want to say smackdown because of the uh, the FTC and our, you know, I would say our more antiquated U.S. antitrust laws that look at the idea of competition through the lens of like big oil and big steel and not through a world of like tech giants. But obviously earlier, you know, earlier in our last month together, Uh, since our last uh, Cyber Monday, Kroger and Albertsons announced their merger, assuming that approval, uh, for $24.6 billion. Um, and again, what, what I think this actually creates, so Oscar and I have talked a lot about this, but this creates healthy competition, not, you know, poses risk to it. Because now, you know, arguably a Walmart and a Target, You know, not just, and this was, these stats were showing kind of from a grocery perspective, but obviously in general, all categories, it actually gives another major player out there with, you know, with a different model, right? A very decentralized, multi-banner, fragmented, but now national footprint um, that really, and, and obviously with Kroger's Akato partnership fueling, you could really set up all of those banners in the network in a, in a very Uh, thoughtful way with a, with with an advantage, you know, to, to compete in this space. But it would make Kroger Albertsons number two in total U.S. grocery market share per 2021 numbers, and it would make them number three when you look at online because of Amazon and Whole Foods, you know, to date. So, um, so I, I'm excited about this. I, I think we're going to see a lot more of these, even if they're not on the same par size wise. I think we're going to see a lot more of these potential mergers and acquisitions coming from other players who see the, the opportunity to pair up together um, for for synergy. So I, I, you know, again, more to more to come with this actually going all the way through and then, you know, maturing as they, you know, as it takes a few years, I'm sure to truly integrate. But if anyone could own a fragmented retailer network, it's a fragmented retailer network like Kroger. And I think they may actually be the best to, to help bring all of those under one you know, one management umbrella even if they still have different banner names it, it's going to be interesting to see how the government's going to respond to it um so a few things that kind of struck me number one is i was looking at the supply chain map and all of the different warehouses that krogan albertson had so they do have a little bit of a overlap of about 300 stores a lot of them in texas um, specifically Uh, Texas, you know, Oklahoma, etc. Um, but surprisingly, Albertson actually has a lot of banners in Northeast where Kroger doesn't have a presence. And that's what they were actually building out those warehouses, trying to go through e-commerce to Northeast, you know, including where, um, including where Chris is in Boston. Uh, but a few things, few things are happening. Number one is, you know, no matter what, grocery channel is very fragmented in the U.S. You know, there's a lot of those independent stores. So U.S. is not kind of um, built for, um, you know, those large uh, kind of, you know, um, retail chains like Walmart, for example. So be interesting to see is like if they're going to basically make a comment that Walmart virtually has no competition and it needs competition from a uh, 
much more established player that is able to go toe-and-toe with them uh, so they don't have such a dominance. So that probably is going to be uh, kind of one of those points. And then on the e-commerce side, I don't think, honestly, it's going to matter that much because number one is most likely the government's not going to pay attention to that. But I think the play is really all about the technology that the partnership of Kroger and Ocado has and can it actually bring Albertson to you know 21st century a little bit quicker versus where they are. And then on the Kroger side, are they able to actually use all of the you know shopper experience that Albertson brings into the table because um, they are doing some interesting things on the shopper side. So it... That, I think that's going to be the rationale that Kroger Albertson basically say. It's like Walmart is way too dominant in the space. They need a competition that is a little bit bigger, uh, you know, for, for those smaller guys. But be interesting to also to see is like how purchasing power for Kroger and Albertson, will that actually fit meaningfully improve? What we are hearing, not as much because a lot of that, those contracts has been signed, you know, years ahead. You know, pricing now a lot of those CPGs are actually trying to bring the pricing up. So I'm not so sure if you know Kroger Albertson pricing uh, merger is going to actually lower any prices. And I know we're getting close to time here, Oscar. So we had just kind of grouped a couple things together. What what did you see on the the brand advertiser enablement? Yeah, so we always see that, you know, we know the brand advertising and, and media advertising and retail media is one of those kind of growing. Um, you know, uh, spaces where there's a lot of investments and, and a lot of the investors are actually pushing. So a few things, you know, Walmart is trying to do uh, build its own kind of a creator platform, which makes sense because there's a lot of creator uh, creating uh, content and, and trying to create something that's um, a little bit more enticing to people and easier to watch. We see, you know, TikTok, we see YouTube, a lot of those creators do a great job publishing content, but the challenge that they have is that the shoppability of it, it's not so great. So that really makes sense. Then Instacart is actually asking Essential, um, you know, to help them out, revamp their advertising products um, and and trying to kind of get them to think through what the next um, generation of, of that advertising product would look like which is actually quite fascinating because, as you know, Instacart was actually bringing a lot of people from Amazon um, to basically to uh, come in and, and, and build their advertising products within Instacart. But I suspect what's happening is at the moment, Instacart is such a collective of different stores, different experiences, that it's not so easy to build it. And I think that's what they are actually asking for external help. Then we have HelloFresh, is looking to build their own kind of a media platform and they are partnering with um, Brand Crash. Uh, and it's all about, you know, how they can actually monetize some of their traffic, you know, look at some of the partnerships, you know, and, and you know, and, and build like a single platform. So HelloFresh, is it going to be, a, a, you know, kind of a massive player within kind of advertising? I'm not so sure. You know, HelloFresh, you're trying to hunt for the next, um, you know, recipe uh, and really kind of focus on the task at hand. So it'd be interesting to see what that would look like. Will they actually stick with it? And then Amazon ads, you know, as, as you all know, they are constantly working on something and they are actually looking at building more uh, self-service um, solutions specifically for digital uh, display advertising, you know, including some of the things like, you know, video, et cetera. 
So that's not surprising because, you know, Amazon is it's literally trying to revamp constantly their uh, video advertising. And we know that video is now being prioritized across many PDP pages. So I would not be surprised that sooner or later we're going to get in a situation that's a little like Netflix. If you mouse over a product, it's just going to change into a video right away just because we, we see such a massive push on videos versus just product imagery. And, and that was kind of splitting those headlines around, you know, what they're doing to help us brands go to market with them differently. They're also obviously a lot of retailers and platforms are trying to enable the sellers and the retailers who work with them. So Amazon, obviously having a huge third party marketplace, has teamed up with Paraffin, uh, a financial services firm to help actually offer cash advances to merchants, again, because these sellers obviously are, are are financing their own business and operations. So that's, you know, as they try to help support that community to keep selling and enabling their platform. And then Google actually has been launching a number of different things through its, you know, kind of Google shopping on both sides for the shopper and for the brand, but also for the sellers on the platform. And so this offering some promotional capabilities and really visibility for those who are driving promotions. So, um, so, I know we've covered a lot in an hour, which is our, our goal. We've got a lot more events to come before we were just saying, oh, don't worry, 2023 is coming. But we've got a lot more in store for you. You can get all of our free events, including our next Cyber Monday for next month, um, at firstmover.com forward slash events. Again, all of them are free for brands or anyone in between brands. Or if you think you're a special case, let us know and we'll make sure you can get through the bouncer into First Mover events at all times. Um, and, and again, if you you have already now qualified for another hour of credit and you'll be, if you attended live, you'll automatically add, have that added up in your torch, uh, uh, you know, certification program. So you'll keep earning. We're going to give you more details over time on how you can claim the on demand because it's, again, it's just a little more manual to track on our end. Um, but you've earned an hour. If you have been with us before and you think you've earned a badge, because it's only a few hours to earn your way up into the badges. Um, please again, write to torch, at First Mover with no E. There's no E in e-commerce. Um, first, firstmover.com. We'll make sure you get your badge. Um, and if I mean, you can do that at any time, but we're here to help. We'll get it to you immediately. And you can share it, post it, get the glory, the fame, the fortune that comes with being an amazing learner because the best leaders are learners. Um, so we look forward to having you in that program. And as always, you've always been a First Mover. We can make it more official through Torch. So you get credit for it, but please follow LinkedIn on uh, on on uh, follow First Mover on LinkedIn, um, and please join us at our next events. Share them with others that you know would benefit from them. They're all free. Um, we just want to help bring great education to you to help take you to that next level. And if you ever have ideas or feedback on ways we can help you further, we're here to support you. So thank you all for an awesome session. Thank you, Oscar, and we will see you uh, at our next event.